listening to Ouija Bronze. This is Devin. This is Liz. Hey, Liz, I know you're kind of sick today. Yeah, it just means editing is going to be fun because they're going to take out a lot of little sniffles and throat clearings. And <laughs> uh, what, what you got to tell me about? I think I had the choice between a haunting and a badass babe, and I felt like a badass babe was what I needed for my week. It's been a tough week. It was tough that you had to, we had to release man's west friend right when you had to oh god say goodbye to bailey that was really unfortunate oh god that was one of those like pre-scheduled kind of mm-hmm. of moments where you're just like uh, uh well i didn't i didn't mean to do that and i would have done something other than listen to me talk about a really good dog that the uh, exact week after i had to put my dog of 13 years to sleep but it's okay. We just ripped that Band-Aid off, and I think it's how Bailey would have wanted it. Yeah. And so we'll jump right in with a badass babe instead of a uh, instead of a haunting this week. I really enjoyed imagining Bailey in some of those situations. Like, yes. if the bison, or what is it, a buffalo, had come into camp while everybody was asleep, yeah. and Bailey had seen it, he would have just been like, go away, go away, <laughs> fat horse, so dumb. <laughs> Bad, 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 and 17 people would have died. <laughs> Everybody would have lost it. Everybody but Jason would have just been kaplooey. Mm-hmm. Like, he would have made sure that his dad got to safety, but everyone else, yeah, Bailey just would have, like, farted and kind of grunted in that direction and made sure his father was protected. Anybody else was totally fine. No, can you imagine if you shot a squirrel and it landed in the water and you were like, Bailey, go fetch, you'd be like, I don't want to fucking eat that. He was not buoyant. Fetch it. You're not a buoyant boy. (laughs) He was not. For looking like a little seal, he sure did not like the water. No, he had a very dense, solid little badger hunting body. Just like Cubby's got that big greyhound, basically bellows chest. So like she can't really lie on her back. Yeah, the lung (laughs) capacity there. It's gigantic. (sighs) Oh man, they're so good. Yeah. No, I I like talking about uh, a badass woman, kind of a la Mary Fields and Ada Blackjack. Mm. Just someone who makes me feel like, fuck yeah, dude, the world is weird. And especially for women, and probably especially for women in 1890, really fucking hard. But you know what? You did it, and then 130 years later, these two buddies are talking about you thinking you're cool as shit. Yeah, I, so when Matt heard Ada Blackjack, he pointed out that she's like the final girl in a horror movie because she starts out oh. as like the one nobody thinks is going to, like, she, you think she's going to just like fall over and die before the killer totally. gets there. Oh, totally. And then she just keeps leveling up and ends up being the only one to survive. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, final girl, Ada Blackjack. Super final girl. Oh, so, man. So 1890, huh? Where? Where are we at for this one? Well, 1890 is about the middle of our story. Where we really start is is 1844, and it starts in County Cork, Ireland. <gasps> I've been there. You've been there. You lived there. I did. It's, it's where my nice. family immigrated from, apparently. Many, many, many people did. It's a good many jumping off did. point. It is. Well, and that's exactly what was going on with this family. I'm going to tell you about... Ellen Cashman, better known as Nellie Cashman, who was born in County Cork, Ireland, 1844-1845, and uh, in 1850, at the height of the famine, her mother brought her and her sister Fanny to Boston, and that is where they started their life in America. They're only allowed to go to places we've been, huh? You say that, but then I'm going to tell you about 
Nellie's life. She lived in California, Nevada, Arizona, Wyoming, Montana, New Mexico, Mexico, the Yukon, the Klondike, the Arctic Circle, and finally settled in Victoria, British Columbia. All right, I like this Nellie. We have not been to all those places. No. But they did start out in Boston, and I do not blame them. They lasted about five years there before they were like, (laughs) peace out, we're going to San Francisco, California. And you would think, you know, traveling 3,000 miles from Ireland to Boston and then 3,000 miles from Boston to California, that'd be enough. But no, Nellie and her mom, they get to California. I mean, they're there with the sister, but Nellie and her mom both, they get gold fever pretty immediately. Yeah, they're, they're a smidge outside of, like, the Oregon Trail era, yeah. but not by a lot. Not by a lot. No, it's 1865. They're in California, so we've got the Civil War going on. They've got... The Oregon Trail days were, what, 1830s? 1840s? Yeah, 1830s, 40s, and, you know, people... <laughs> I think somebody probably is doing the trail right now, but, you know, it's not... <laughs> The biggest deal <laughs> at the they, moment. <laughs> if they play it the way we do, they had to start <laughs> over a bunch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You made it three days and then somebody stole all your ox and you can still see the town you left. <laughs> You're going to have to walk back in and people are going to be like, you forget something? Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> Set a guard on our oxen. Guess I live here now. I left the stove on. I just came back to make sure I didn't burn the town down. Yeah. I'm going to pick up a couple spare oxen while I'm here. Thanks. No reason. And (laughs) unrelated. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So she makes it out of California. So she makes it out of California. She's into the gold thing. And it's it's okay, her being into the gold thing, because Nellie is very, very good at two things. She's very good at making money. And she's also very good at giving that money away. (laughs) <laughs> That's really fun. It's kind of like you plus me. <laughs> One person. And and Nellie was making her money living this dream. She was a miner. She was a prospector. She was also a business owner, mostly restaurants and boarding houses, but she also had like dry goods stores, things wow. like that. But she was a philanthropist, so all the money she gave... She then built hospitals. She raised orphans. She organized charity drives for miners or for the families of miners whose miner had died in the mines and now they were destitute. Hmm. It was this philanthropy that got her all these nicknames. So if you look up Nellie Cashman, you will also find her named the angel of wherever she was living at the time. She was the Angel of Tombstone, Angel of the Casser, the Frontier Angel, the Miner's Angel, the Saint of the Sourdough. Nellie No More Cashwoman. Nellie No More Cashman. <laughs> exactly right. She just did two things, made her money and gave it away. But the whole time she did those things, she was adventuring and having a fucking blast. So reading about her, I mean, I might as well have been reading a pulp novel, and that's I mean, that's part of the problem you and I've run into with some of these historic figures is, especially when you are a woman who is as beautiful, vivacious, and adventurous as Nellie Cashman, and it's the 1860s, you've got journalists running around all over writing these glowing, you know, exploits of her, but it's really difficult to figure out 
what's exaggerated or what's Mm -hmm. a little polished. So I'll tell you what I think I know about her. And then at the end, I've got a couple stories that may be, uh, what's the word, apocryphal. Yeah. But I, I think they're fun to relay to you anyway. So she wasn't married, I'm gathering, if she had this many adventures. Wait, was she? There's two kinds of adventurers <laughs> who are women in the 19th century. There's married yeah. a lot and never married. <laughs> she was never married. And I'm glad you brought that up because she gave a reporter toward the end of her life a really good quote about that. A reporter from the Arizona Star had asked her, why were you never married? And she said, why, child, I haven't had time for marriage Men are a nuisance anyhow now, aren't they? They're just boys grown up. <laughs> oh, burn. Burn, Nellie. But definitely, she didn't have time for men. She didn't have time for boys. She was mining, adventuring, taking care of people, taking care of more than just that group of people, taking care of another group of people. She was building businesses. Holy shit, like she was making them out of Lincoln Logs. This woman, <laughs> she lived to be... 80 years old, and I think she lived her fullest every fucking day, dude. If half of the stories about her are true, she lived every day. Yeah, well, like, why would you also get a husband at that point if he's gonna then have all kinds of legal rights over you? Like, we've all read enough true crime. We, we like, <laughs> you, you don't have a life insurance policy in, in California in those days, but you sure would have a lot of money that would devolve onto whoever. So, Oh, my God. Exactly. No. <laughs> Keep well, guessing. I, came, I came across Nellie in this book that I got at a thrift store. It's one of those fake leather-bound Time Life books from a series. And this is from Time Life's 1970s series called The West. And Ooh. it's a book just titled The Women. And it's all, you know, 250 pages about women in the Old West. And for being, you know, from the 70s, it's kind of nice because I assume all of the information that's contained in here, they they got from another kind of first source. It's not Mm -hmm. just Wikipedia where anybody edited it. But they talk an awful lot in this whole book in the couple sections that I've been able to hit really hard about how women who moved west wanted two things. They either really wanted to get married, so they they went where there were a lot of men and no competition, (laughs) you know, and the other women that went were women who had zero desire to get married. They just wanted to live their fucking lives. And it was still, I mean, of course, it's hard to be an outsider no matter what time frame you're Mm -hmm. in. But in a land of other outsiders, it was definitely easier to be an unmarried woman. You've got cash. They're like, okay, I guess you can run a store. Like, if you oh don't, gosh. we have no store, so cool, do Isn't it. Isn't that, that cash, there's a quote there that I can't come up with, but they talk about it in, like, Gone with the Wind and other things, where it's like, eccentrics are always welcome if they have cash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Nellie, she didn't even seem that eccentric. I mean, unconventional, yes, but mm-hmm. she was just a good person who liked mining. She, I said, you know, started in California. And she started out as a camp cook for some different mine groups in Nevada with their mom. And she quickly went from going, okay, that's fine. I can cook whatever. But what I really want to do is the dirty work. I really want to be prospecting. I really want to be sluicing. And I want to be panning. And I want to be mining. So she started doing that in Nevada. And when 200 
miners in Nevada get gold fever for the Kasser gold strike in northern BC, Nellie goes with them. So these 200 miners, Nellie included, they go from Nevada to Kasser, British Columbia, which is very north British Columbia. That's a hike. It's quite a jaunt, my friend. They get up there and Nellie goes, okay, well, I'm going to mine, but I also know I'm good at taking care of people. So I'm going to operate a boarding house. Mm -hmm. I've already told you about Nellie. She's good at making money and she's good at giving it away. So when she makes this boarding house, does she keep her money? No. No. She lets people stay there for free, doesn't she? She lets people stay there for free, but the ones that pay, she's giving that money to the Sisters of St. Anne. What she does is she takes this money she makes boarding, and she's giving it to the Sisters of St. Anne, who are building a hospital in Victoria, British Columbia. I think I've heard about that place, because I think if it's still around, it's haunted. It is. It's not whatever's there is now haunted. It's, yeah, it's now uh, St. Joseph's Hospital, I believe. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it is St. Joseph's Hospital. Okay. Yeah. I had Maybe to we'll scroll do down in my sometime. notes. Maybe, I think we ought to, because it comes up again later in Ooh, our story. Okay. So if I get back to my notes, where am I? Oh, okay. I said they're up in Kasser. Uh, and that Kasser, it, it might be familiar, you may remember she was called the Angel of Kasser. Yeah, and Tombstone. Has she already been to Tombstone, or is that she's, later? She's not been to Tombstone. That's okay. later. And I want to, I know it's outside of our jurisdiction, but there is a Tombstone story I want to tell you. Well, here's the thing. I, I was reading a very good Larry McMurtry book called Sacagawea's Nickname. Oh, yeah. He makes the point that there's, you know, the, the historical West, the geographical West, and the psychological West. So, mm, like, okay. I was just watching The Wizard of Oz today, and no shit, the wizard refers to himself as being from the West. He's from Kansas, <laughs> but... Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah. He is not from the West, my friend. <laughs> yeah, but to him or to whatever... I don't know if that's like a throwback to the book or what, but for given value of West, Kansas was West. All of which is to say, I'm so excited to talk about Tombstone because I did so much with it for when I was over on Historical Hotties talking about Josie Earp. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. good. Okay. Good. Well, then I totally want you to throw in some Tombstone on this. I'm nice. so excited to hear more about Josie Earp. <laughs> yeah, Tombstone is the psychological West. And maybe sure. the the emotional West and the legendary West. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so but she's not there yet. She's in Kasser. She's in Kasser. She's up in northern British Columbia. And she doesn't get the name the Angel of Kasser because she's saving up all this money to give to the nuns for a hospital. She earns this name after she goes fucking, she goes like fucking G.I. Jane and saves this party of 25 to 75, depending on which source you're using, sick miners who are hurt in a snowstorm and then get scurvy. Oh, scurvy again, (laughs) Scurvy again, it happens. So what's happened is that it's 1873, Nellie has left Kasser, She's gone down to Victoria to kind of overwinter. And she hears that a snowstorm up in Kasser, where she was, has injured 26 miners. And that the outfit of up to 200 miners is low on supply. And that some of them are now suffering from scurvy. Mm. And she goes, well, fuck, you know, these are my dudes. I'm not just going to leave them there. 
So she persuades six men in Victoria to go with her. She tries to get the Canadian army to go on a rescue mission. And they say, "Uh uh-uh, it's too dangerous. And she goes, okay, well, I'll go myself then. She is the Balto of ladies. Fucking Balto of ladies is the best quote ever. I (laughs) hope that can be on my tombstone. Oh my God. She totally does. She gets these six guys. They get some pack animals. They get 1,500 pounds of supplies. They fucking mount up. Okay, but like how many spare wagon axles and how many boxes of pulleys? <laughs> they have a 3,000 pound limit. That's a lot of fucking wagon axles. Liz, they don't really take a wagon because they're trying to walk through 10 feet high snowbanks. Uh, yeah. I imagine that's like the worst combination of you kind of sink through it. But it's not like you can just walk through it like water. You can't, right? And we're, I'm sorry, none of us are the girl from Girl Interrupted who walks on top of the snow because she's 12 pounds, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Remember Legolas was in that movie? You're right, I remember what he is. (laughs) And then Angelina Jolie is trying to bring down the mountain by yodeling. It's a whole thing. weird mashup. Oh, man. No, they are trying to get 1,500 pounds of supplies, some animals, probably no oxen, and seven people from Victoria to Caser. God, and it's not like they have roads, I imagine. It's not I, like they, there's they a have, highway. Like, yeah. Tracks. Yeah, and it's, not it's like Canada. Have, this is one of those situations where you are just as likely to become the other people who need to be rescued. Well, that's exactly what the Canadian Army thinks. Mm-hmm. They let her go, and then they go, well, fuck, don't you know? <laughs> oh, shoot. She's stuck up there. So the Canadian Army, there's this captain who's like, no, we got to go fix this. This isn't cool. So they set out with some men, with, with a troop, and they catch up to Nellie, thinking that they're going to find her and her men stranded. And instead, she's camped, pretty as you please, on a frozen river, having a hot cup of tea. And she invites the men to come have a cup of tea with her. It's a boss move. Super boss move. They try to persuade her to turn around and go back with them. And she says, absolutely not. I'm pressing on. We're fine. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It takes her 77 days total. (gasps) Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. Over two months in sub-zero temperatures, in avalanches, in snowstorms. But she and the six men make it with 1,500 pounds of supplies, and they nurse every single fucker back to health. Holy shit. I thought you were going to say seven days, and I thought that was too much. No. Like, yeah, I... Oh, I've been thinking about it ever since Ada Blackjack. Yeah. Of course, because apparently too many people in Spokane said, huh, that was a kind of mild winter. And winter said, hold my fucking beer. Because <laughs> yeah, it, it just does not stop snowing. I'm incredibly over it. But I'm like, so sorry. You just... <sighs> I feel like I forget about this every time I'm not dealing with snow. That it's yeah. not like walking around sand or something no like you're falling all the time yeah you you can't get a grip on anything it's yeah again it's kind of like how you know how people hurt themselves like diving into lakes and stuff because they forget mm-hmm. that lakes aren't swimming pools mm-hmm. i see so many people hurt themselves because they forget that like look just because the snow made it look like a smooth blanket doesn't mean there's not like rocks and shit under there oh totally you don't know what's under there yeah, you don't know you don't- 
And so I'm 77 days. And, oh, that's a lot of time to be alone with your thoughts and a time before podcasts and <laughs> iTunes. And there's no Reddit. There's no there's Pinterest nothing. for me to make my perfect mod house with. I don't know yeah. what the fuck. So they're just yeah. in the snow. And I'm like, what do you think about besides just like, I'm really cold. I hope those guys aren't dead. Dude, that's what I would think about the whole time. I mean, it was Nellie, so she was probably thinking about, this is great. When I get there, I'm going to have enough energy to run to the moon. Yeah. As far <laughs> as I can tell, she's Rob Lowe yeah. from Parks and Rec and is relentlessly perky. They get there. She's in Kassar. This whole thing is exactly why I am not surprised that her biographer described her as Pretty as a Victorian cameo, and when necessary, tougher than a two-penny nail. Oh, is a two-penny nail, like, really extra tough? Apparently. Is that, like, a good grade of nail? Wow, you want to sass me about this? No, I just don't know, and it comes out sassy, I guess. Because <laughs> I'm defensive about not knowing about nails. It's some old-timey bullshit. What kind of nails do you think you have in your old house? You pulled out some weird-ass oh, insulation. No, you just imagine that I have. Uh <laughs> no, you have, too. <laughs> From where? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, you, you're probably right. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it was upstairs. It was upstairs in the attic, and you pulled out some weird, some weird horse, maybe you didn't have horse hair insulation. No. You pulled out some weird, no, this didn't Devin, happen. I've never been in my attic. <laughs> you and Matt were up there, and you knocked no. down a chimney, because you no. had, Somebody yeah. did it for us. From the outside. No, it was in your attic, and you were there. The chimney is now inside our attic, yes. The remaining parts of the chimney. I did not participate in this. I have never been in my attic. I have never even looked into the attic. I looked up two penny nails while you were getting mad at me. <laughs> Good, and they were, the time. <laughs> they were called that because they cost two pennies. Is that a lot? I don't know. No, apparently it's it's it must be tough, dude, because that's what they described her as. But you could also buy a six penny nail, which I would imagine was tougher. Dang, that's a lot of money for the day. I mean, yeah. you go through a lot of nails. Go through a whole lot of nails. You could make a nail out of a penny. Yeah, you'd not be able to use my approach of well, shit. Guess I dropped it. <laughs> Sweep that <laughs> up my, later. Or my child's approach of oh, this is worthless. Throw it on the ground. <laughs> I'm not why I don't give that's why I don't give money anymore. <laughs> All right, two penny nails aside. Nellie's up in Casare till 1876. So she stays another couple of years. But then our girl Nellie likes to tumble, you know? Mm. So she goes, Okay, well, this is pretty cool up here, but the boom's a little played out up in Casare. I'm just gonna go walk about. I'm I'm just gonna go tour the mining camps of the American West. So she wanders for three years. She, she wanders between mining towns all over the American West, doing some prospecting, doing some saloon building, doing some, you know, giving her money away, until in 1879, she makes it to Tombstone, Arizona, just ahead of the Earp family. Did she keep a journal by chance? No, not that I found, but what she did, did was have a whole fucking lot of reporters following her. Well, People, yeah, that, that cuts down on... Oh, my God, <laughs> right? 
I wouldn't need to write about myself if someone else was doing it. I don't People, know. Have you ever had a reporter write about you, though? Because, like, yeah, hit or miss. Hit or right. miss. You're right. <laughs> I love that's the Daily a- Evergreen, but hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds personal. Do you want to dig around in that wound? Should we poke in there? Oh, no. Like, the freaking first day after we moved back to Spokane, where we were at a parade, and they took a picture of me and Lydia and then printed it in the paper with <gasps> yeah. our name swapped. Yeah, We were off right. to the races at that point. <laughs> yeah, Spokesman's done okay by us, Inlander's done okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave I'm it just- Everybody that's written about Ouija Broad so far has spelled my name right, which is always a good sign for me. That is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you she got to Tombstone, and she definitely earned her title of Angel of Tombstone while she was there. So she gets to Tombstone, 1879. She sets up some shops. She sets up a boarding house, and her boarding house has a restaurant. And, of course, like she does with her boarding houses, she lets minors who don't have enough money stay the night. But also, if a minor came to her and said, Ah, Nellie, there's this claim that I really want to get, and I don't have the money for it. I need 50 bucks to go get this claim and 100 bucks of supplies. She would just give him the grub steak so that he could go follow his bliss. I have a lot of questions about how her finances worked. Like, was it that she just struck it so big early on that any fluctuations afterwards she could weather? Or was she just incredibly lucky consistently? I think she was lucky consistently. Because it sounds like very frequently she just goes through all of her liquid cash and then starts again. Wow. And most people couldn't even pull that off once. Oh, gosh, no. It doesn't even matter if you start with, like, 10 bucks or 10000 If you were in, like tombstone i can't imagine being comfortable without like mm, i'm gonna keep a little rainy day nest egg you know right, right? So fortunately if i need to she was the rainy day nest egg for her sister fanny because i told mm-hmm. you how they went to california well fanny shacked up with a guy right away married him his name was tom or something he was a boot maker well tom kicks the bucket and then poor fanny dies and they've got five kids oh, so shit. What does Nellie do? She says, come here, little babies. I will take care of you. So she adopts all five of her nieces and nephews. And from there on out, uh, until they're old enough to go live their own lives, they just adventure with her. That would be a great movie. Wouldn't that be so fun to watch? Oh, I'd love it. Well, And they, they come and live with her when she's in Tombstone. Yes, it's like Auntie Mame crossed with i guess tombstone but also no crossed with like paint your wagon <laughs> yes like i definitely yes. am sensing a musical aspect with five kids of slightly Obviously. different ages Does, and she actually kind of looks like uh fuck how can i not come up with her name J- uh judy dench as wait that's not dame judy dench uh, who plays mary poppins in the new one or the old one the old one Julie Andrews? Julie Andrews. Yeah, she kind of looks like Julie Andrews. She's just, you know, dark hair, big eyes. It's kind of that, like, you know, wasp waist corseted, my hair pulled back, but with an artful curl. Like, that's how you see Nellie in paintings. Oh, so So she kind of had the Disney princess, time lord, whatever Mary Poppins is energy. So no wonder she was fine. Like, she could fly. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. She had a bag that had infinite money and infinite sluice boxes. And she could also just like umbrella her way out of Tombstone when shit got real. 
I'm amazed that she didn't get scammed by anybody, or if she did, she just kind of shook it off, apparently, to this point in the story. Yeah. As far as I know, she doesn't get scammed. They certainly don't talk about it in the articles or books that I read about her. I can't imagine what they must have made of her in this, like, ridiculously hard scrabble place, especially where women are basically, like, wives or sex workers. Yes. And... Then this lady just balls up, like, having a great time. Yeah. Doesn't give a shit, doesn't want to get married. Yeah. I don't imagine the reporters have commented much on her sex life, but it sounds like she wasn't, like, hitting the saloon every night, getting drunk and gambling, right? Oh, no, no. And they fucking loved her. She was a devout Catholic. She convinced Wyatt Earp to let her hold church services, Catholic church services, in his saloon every Sunday until she raised enough money to build a church in Tombstone. Wait, she was doing the services? Well, she, she I mean, they got a priest, right? But to... Oh, okay. I would not, I would have, not put a pastor. I just... Well, she, <laughs> she's she, like, hello, I'm the Pope now. In, in Tombstone, she hears confession of five criminals on death row, because no one else will hear a confession. So wow. she hears their confession and, you know, does whatever last rites that you can do is not being a priest. Um, she is in Tombstone. And again, this is one of those kind of apocryphal. I don't know if it's real or not, but here's a quote that I got from an article that was written about her in an Irish newspaper that says, quote, It is said that when she entered saloons, all the men would stand out of respect. This helps explain how she got away with one of her signature fundraising moves, which involved surveying poker tables for piles of cash and, sweeping these off, assured the card players that they surely wouldn't object if this money goes to the good Christian women that's taking care of the sick. That's a bold move, Cotton. Fucking (laughs) fucking brassy. Yeah, But apparently, people loved her. And not only did... The miners love her. She was one of them. The mine owners loved her. So she definitely walked this, like, blue-collar, white-collar, working man, high-class, high-society person thing where she was friends with everybody. Everybody was like, cool, we'll take care of her. We will support her. We will do what she says. She's like the Disney version of Calamity Jane. So whereas Jane was like always drunk and fucking around and doing whatever, but also would like, you know, stand there with a gun until everybody had put money into the preacher's cap. Yes. (laughs) This lady's just like, that's mine. Thank you. Thank you. And well, and that's one of the things that I really am fascinated by with in terms of her story is that she does things you know i always get really fucking weird when i have to start talking about gender because i'm pretty sure i'm gonna offend everybody and i'm not making anybody happy so this time i'm just gonna fucking say it i think that when women are dealing with a large group of men whether it's 150 years ago or today a lot of times there's a certain amount of charm and guile and uh, charisma that goes into managing that group of what could be dangerous people who are taller, way more, and stronger than you. And in her case, yeah. outarm her. And yeah. she did that on the regular, where she brought all of her charm to a gunfight and fucking won. That's it, amazing. Because, yeah, you're dealing with so many people where, like, the rule of law does not apply. No. Whatsoever. Like, in Tombstone. We all know the story. So oh, yeah. the fact that she's just in there going like, I'm going to take all your poker winnings. 
I guess maybe there's just that draw of like, we really like it that there's somebody who looks after us or. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. <gasps> I'm, I'm this sure shouldn't very, have worked. If, this were, if I were reading no. a novel, I'd be like, this, this doesn't make any sense. That would never happen. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no. And she, you know, I, I look at her and then I look at Mary Fields and I'm like, Mary Fields only had this brute force mm-hmm. that she could use. You know, she was a black woman. And this this smaller, petite, white woman is is facing the same kind of people, but she has a different physical presence that allows her to, to handle certain situations in a totally different way than Mary had to experience them. How it's old just, is she when she's in Tombstone and Kassar? So she was born in 44 or 45. In Kassar, it's... 70 and in tombstone it's 79 so what is that she's 35 in tombstone yeah so she's not like outside the age range of marriageability or anything Mm -mm. i Mm -mm. just i don't know if her her journalist didn't talk about this or what but i cannot imagine that nobody contemplated her sexuality because yeah i've never seen that not on the table you don't right. get to not have that evaluated about you, especially right. in a situation where you're the only woman. So right. how did she play that? How did she make that work? Was that why she was so squeaky clean? Was that why she was like, I'm never going to get married because I don't even want to start having people start thinking about this? Or mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Sorry, please keep it telling is. me. I, I no. love her in Tombstone. That's great. That's that's something that she talks about later to a reporter. Not the sexuality, but they, they talk about how she keeps her skirts clean, basically, when she's panning for gold and mining and stuff. And she says, that's ridiculous. Of course I dress as a man when I'm mining and panning for gold. Any woman who's out in the bush, who's out in the Yukon, will realize what folly it is to dress as a woman but i make sure i don't know why she called it a rubber coat that doesn't make sense to me maybe she means oil cloth or or maybe they did have giant coats made out of rubber but she yeah maybe a raincoat but it sounds like she had a femininely tailored overcoat that she could throw over her men's clothes if she was meeting people or if she was going into town but all the surviving portraits of her show her dressed extremely feminine. She sounds super smart. And I don't say that Mm -hmm. because she dressed super feminine. I say that because it sounds like it took a lot of planning and work to thread the needle on all the different expectations about how she was going to present herself combined with the reality of the situations that she was finding herself in. Right. Like, where do you think she peed during those 77 days? Like, she must have gotten her period at some point. Like, how was was she managing that? I think she was probably just having to pretend she didn't have a body a lot of the time. Like, from the waist down, she was just like a a coat rack or a mannequin (laughs) of some kind. Just the hoop. Yep, they're just a hoop and yep. some casters. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah. just a dress form. And Dude, in some I, ways, that sounds exhausting. Oh, God, yeah. But, it's, I mean, she sounds like, A, she has nothing but energy, and B, she just really focuses on the positives. Yeah, good for her. You said let's keep talking about Tombstone Nelly, and I'm so glad you did, because there's one Tombstone story that I really want to tell you. Because I think that this really illustrates what we were talking about, which is this blend of having to bring femininity 
to what would quickly become a very masculine or physical, I guess, altercation. And instead, she just kind of charms her way out of it. She just makes everything better without raising a hand, raising her voice, raising a gun. When she's in Tombstone, there's a group of miners who go on strike. And they're going on strike against a man named E.B. Gage, who owns the Grand Central Mining Company. And Nellie's a friend of the miners. She is a miner herself. But she hears that part of this group, they want to kidnap and then lynch this E.B. Gage. And they aren't going to be dissuaded. They aren't going to be talked out of it. So she instead goes, I'm going to take a drive. And what happens is on the night that she knows that these men are going to go to the saloon and get fucking drunk and then come and try to lynch Mr. Gage, she gets into her budgie, or she, <laughs> her budgie, her little tiny parakeet. <laughs> she gets into her buggy. She rides over to Gage's house and she says, hey, friend, let's go for a drive. Pack a bag. She gets Gage to take a drive with her, and she drives right the fuck through the middle of Tombstone, taking the air with Gage, showing everyone that she's on his side right now. They go through Tombstone, they exit the town, they get all the way to Benson City, and she puts Gage and his bag on a train and says, you're going to fucking Tucson, honey. Don't come back. <laughs> So she manages okay. she manages to get him out alive. She manages to show these hothead miners that like, no, we're not doing mob justice and you're not going to attack him when he's in my carriage. And then also manages to get this guy to go away. Not yeah. come back. Everybody got a little bit of what they wanted. Wait, Everybody. so they drove through town during the day or at night? No, they drove through town at night. She took him on an evening ride. Okay. Just straight on through with her giant brass balls leading the way, apparently. Yeah, well, that is a a clever move because I feel like it's almost not that she's saying that she's on his side, but that she's saying, like, I am handling this. I, yeah. I am here. And so she, yeah. is, that she is taking a big physical risk there, though. But oh, totally, she, right? I mean, like, if she had just handed him the money and said, get out of town, maybe he wouldn't have. And right. Maybe they would have interpreted it differently. Right. But for everybody to see her removing him is like, okay, this has been dealt with. Yeah, handled. Great. Let's go back to drinking. Mm -hmm. Wow. Tombstone doesn't last forever. So, of course, Nellie's time in Tombstone doesn't last forever. In 1886, the Tombstone gold boom kind of dries up. So her businesses fold. And she goes, okay, well, cool. The kids and I... We're going to go on some new adventures. So she goes all over the place again. She's in Arizona. She's in New Mexico. She's in Mexico. She's in Wyoming. She goes up to Idaho. But it's in 1897 when she hears that there's gold in the Yukon territories. Woohoo! So she goes, I'm going to raise me $5,000 and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to mine in Yukon. She just really likes this, doesn't she? I she feel like most people who did it just wanted it. to be rich. She just apparently loves this. No, she absolutely loves this. And she said that in interviews where she just, that was so fun for her. That was what she wanted to do. Really, really enjoyed that work. God, was it the isolation or the like repetitive motion? <laughs> 
don't know. And, you know, she's going, she's going to these claims that are, you're surrounded by other people with claims. So I don't think it can be that isolating. I don't, you know, is it the freedom? Is it the physical labor? Is it working outdoors? Is it my love of finding treasure? You know, maybe she was a gambler who never picked up a card. Maybe this was how she said that. Yeah. Well, she manages to get to Yukon. She pulls $100,000 out of the claim that she has on Bonanza Creek. Of course she does. Of course she does, right? But she spends it as fast as she makes it because every time she gets a little more money, she buys another claim. And she goes all over Alaska, but she says, I spent every red cent of that $100,000 buying other claims and prospecting the country. I went out with my dog team or on snowshoes all over the district looking for rich claims. Wow. Yep. She just loved it. Just loved it. But she also opened grocery stores, restaurants, hotels. She opened all three of those in Dawson, uh, which is a a little Yukon town, right? Yeah, but a big stop on the gold rush. Yeah. Yeah, big stop. And it, so it's it's now 1901. She's in Dawson for seven years. Only 1% of the miners in the Yukon are female. And only two women own hotels in the area. So she's one of the 1% and one of the two female hotel owners. But she loves it there. She really has a good time in Dawson. Like I said, she stays there for seven years, which is probably the longest she spends in any place. And she is surrounded by other Klondike stars. She's BFFs with like Jack London. With I was Jack gonna say, Crawford. like this is uh, that's oh, yeah. my big association is playing Yukon Trail as a kid and seeing Jack London. Yeah. in Dawson. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah. So she's she hangs out with them. They come to her hotel. They smoke cigars together. I guess she hands out cigars to all the miners. Uh, Joaquin Miller hangs out there, and she just has herself a grand old time. But it's Nellie. It's the 1910s. She's getting a little bored in Dawson. So (laughs) she is, let's see, it's 1910. She's about 60 years old. And she goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get me some dogs and we're going to dog sled. She dog sleds 750 miles across the Arctic by herself. Uh, she she gets within 60 miles of the Arctic Circle. Wow. Just on cause? a dog sled. Just because. Just because. Okay. So she, she absolutely loved Alaska. That was the Yukon area, the Alaska Territory. That's where she really started to feel like it's wilderness. It's, it's the people that I know. It's the stuff I love doing. Look at how great this is. And she spends almost the rest of her life up in Alaska. Wow. It's the spring of 1924, and she gets pneumonia. Oh, no. And I mean, she doesn't know what it is. She's never been sick before. She's never been sick a day in her goddamn life, right? Uh, well, yeah, and the articles I read said she got double pneumonia, and I don't know what the fuck that is. That sounds It's kind of like a two-penny nail. <laughs> I'm turning you off. I'm going to keep talking into my microphone, but I'm taking out my headphones. Yeah, that's a good question. What is double pneumonia? That sounds made up. That sounds like what happened to your <laughs> the person like you heard from. Stupid. Oh my god, neither of us can get through this. Stupid. 
The person who told you that their cousin was no, autistic and got brother. vaccines and had... Oh, her brother. Yeah, Nikki and, said her brother was autistic and got vaccines. And then what, Liz? Double autism. Because <laughs> <laughs> she's stupid. Oh, my God. Like... Oh, of man. the hills I die on, arguing with anti-vaxxers oh, is, like, a pretty consistent one. Yeah. But after you told me that, for, like, solidly 10 to 14 days, I would just be sitting there doing something else, and the phrase double autism <laughs> would come into my head. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's so awful. Oh, my oh, God. goodness. It's so awful. Oh, okay. Well, this one at least kind of oh. makes sense, is that normally you get, I'm looking this up on, healthline.com normally when you get pneumonia it's in one lung guess what oh. double pneumonia is and your butt uh, yep your lung and your butt <laughs> get your lung and your butt well okay then it is a real thing and yeah, i was two lungs. a jerk she got pneumonia in both lungs and was hospitalized in fairbanks it was worth it because we got to <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about double autistic poor kiddo Fuck, that's stupid. Anyway, but... I know, what vaccines made her that way, is my question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I will... Whatever they gave Nellie, I will take. Oh, I no will kidding. take 14 of. Well, okay, 1924, Nellie is possibly 80, maybe 79, but the point is she's got double pneumonia, she's in a hospital in Fairbanks, and she says, no, this is, this is it. And she tells them, I want to, quote, come home to die. So she moves from Fairbanks down to St. Joseph's Hospital in Victoria, B.C. Oh, her hospital. Her hospital, the place that she and the nuns were able to build. And in January 1925, she does pass away. This is some straight up end of Hamilton the orphanage. Oh some people God. understand what I'm getting at. Everything comes full circle for some people, and this apparently is one of those people. <laughs> it was just like, what a fucking life. What an amazing, like you said, full circle life. So, yep, never married, adopted five kids that were her sisters. I cannot believe the slight variations in all of these stories I have read about her. Like I said, it's very difficult to parse what's embellished, what's real, what's this game of like 1875 telephone Mm -hmm. where (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, but but at minimum, the places that she built exist and the lives that she saved lived. So yeah. Maybe she was, like, a total dick whenever the reporters weren't there. But we do know she sure seems to have made a lot of money and given it away. Yeah, made a ton of money, gave a ton of money away. Seems to have made a lot of people very happy. Oh, shit, she does look like Julie Andrews or Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. I think, I mean, her eyes are too close together Mm -hmm. to be you or your sister. But the the dark hair and the silky eyebrows and the the dark eyes remind me of you and Mads. Mm-hmm. This is cute. She's cutie. She is, isn't she? But I love that the most famous painting of her is a painting, um, a, a Chinese cook that she knew from one of her many restaurants took a picture of her back home to China and had someone in China paint. Oh my so God, the, really? Yeah. So the most famous painting of her, I guess, it's the one that's in this Time Life book that I have, 
is a painting of her that was done in China. Is it the one they used for the stamp? I haven't looked at the stamp. I know that she was part of the United States Postal Service Women of the West stamps, but I haven't looked at it. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to bookmark that mentally as a thing to rip off. Oh, yeah. So it's the same... It's the same image, but the painting of her is much more beautiful. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, this is a shitty version of that painting. Huh. Let me see if I can find you the actual one and send it to you. But yeah. Ooh, somebody tried to do this painting and did a really poor job of it. Wonderful. Well, it's the photo from, are you looking at pictures of her? It's the one from True West magazine. True West. Oh, okay. But it's really pretty. The colors in it are reproduced really beautifully in this book that I have. But like you said, it's the same one from the postage stamp, but the one from the postage stamp is kind of uggo. Huh. I'm looking at these. Did being a pretty lady alone in a wilderness with love-starved men ever pose a problem? Not according to Nellie. She'd reply sweetly, if you act like a lady, men will treat you like one. Uh, oh. I'm glad that worked for you. That wow, Nellie. Work. That is a little <laughs> slut-shamey, a little victim-blamey. <laughs> Let's just decide that that didn't happen. I don't like that one. I'll tell yeah, you that the- reporter just put those Mm-mm. words in her mouth. No, they totally put the words in her mouth. I'll tell you the story that happened maybe in Tombstone, maybe didn't. But here's one of those examples of there must have been a story that happened. And over the years, it either got better or worse, depending on which of these came out first. But there's a story that she was working. She had one of her restaurants and uh, a man came in and he ordered the beans. And when he complained about the beans, a miner who was having, you know, breakfast there or whatever... Uh, who was loyal to Nelly, force-fed the man the rest of his beans. (laughs) Eat your beans. Eat your fucking beans. But you also hear the story is that when she had a diner in the Russ house, which is a diner that she co-owned and she also cooked food at in Tombstone, a man complained about the cooking out loud. And little known to him, he was in the presence of Doc Holliday, who drew his pistol and asked the man to repeat what he said. And the man said, it's the best food I've ever had. And (laughs) finished his meal and left. Yeah, that sounds like after the fact. And and that student was Albert Einstein. (laughs) Einstein does, doesn't it? (laughs) But I like it because it let me think about uh, Val Kilmer and Tombstone. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, I tagged you twice on a Facebook post of ours, and I, I really wanted you to see it. Yeah, because right you thought the little me. Zoltar I gave you looked like it. Um, it does, except for Val Kilmer is way hotter. He actually kind of looks a little bit, you know, like consumptive Val Kilmer. And then look at the painting of Nellie. They both have those dark, piercing eyes under the straight mm. brows. <gasps> Their babies would have been able to, like, look through you like Superman. fucking cyclops stuff nice nice so i definitely drew a huge amount of information from this time life book i got a lot of information about nelly from an article by bob katz uh on desert usa there are several biographies about nelly there are a fuck ton of articles about her i'm 
really surprised that I'd never heard of her before, especially with her connection to like Jack London and the Earps and Tombstone and just, just being such a woman during this time. She's been everywhere, but I guess she didn't murder anybody or get murdered. So I mean, then what are you going to do? Those are the only women that I usually hear about. Yeah. Well, she doesn't make the, you know, five wild West babes who were too dangerous (laughs) to live or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too beautiful to live, too tragic to die. <laughs> I'm very it is. into the, the positivity stories of good things happening and interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. Stuff. She was but, like this little... Yeah. She's like Marie Kondo. <gasps> oh, my God. She was reincarnated as Marie Kondo. She's just like, I, I see somebody in disarray and I'm going to pick it up and fix it. Don't you yes. worry. I'm here for you. Let me fix it. I will get mm-hmm. on your antique carousel horse, but I'm teeny. Teeny, she could have walked on top of the snow. That's yeah, seventy-seven days. Could definitely walk on top. Oh my god! Of the snow. Yeah, tiny little pixie. <laughs> it's just really nice to bring you a. I mean, that whole story was positive. You know, I know, <laughs> I know she dies. I know that it's hard to be a woman. I know that there's a lot of difficult things that we kind of skirted around, like in issues of gender and sexuality and stuff like that. But it just, she really seems like a woman who. I don't know, dude. She did whatever the fuck she wanted, but not in a, not in a, like, fuck you, I'm Courtney Love kind of way. In just a, like, this is really cool. Look at this. I get to play in the dirt. I love it. I look more gold. (laughs) They let me have a hotel, and that just made money. Oh, my God. I feel so good at making money. Amazing. It's like playing board games with certain people where you think they're really lucky, and then you just realize (gasps) they don't know the rules, so they're accidentally cheating. But she sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, she just sounds very complete in and of herself. Yeah. And I don't think she was ever lonely. No, I think she was you really know? comfortable with her own company. That's all yeah. I keep coming back to, like, all the travel. Like, not just the 77 days on the snow, but going all the way across the country and all the way across the ocean and up and down all over the... I'm like, wow, you you either... She's very in the moment, I guess. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't know, I resonate with Nellie in that, like, I spent every fucking thing I had, and, and then I made more money. Oh, just kind of let it slip through your fingers. Yeah, easy come, easy go. That's awesome. That's, I, if it works, it works, man, go for it. I wish it worked like Nellie, because I yeah. really just don't have a lot of money. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's like, she'd let go of a dollar, and it'd be like, hi, I came back, and I made a friend. Yeah, I... <laughs> I brought one of those two penny nails with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you for letting me tell you such a happy story. Yeah, it's awesome. Now I feel like between this and, like, the dogs and probably some other stuff I'm not thinking of because I'm tired, Mm -hmm. we've got, like, a good positivity ratio so I can bring some more, like, horrifying stalkers and poison and whatever. Yeah, for sure. Next time, just totally kill my joy. Just totally Ugh. grind out that spark, Liz. Let's let's really get in there. That's the essence of our relationship. Is me <laughs> texting you the other day, going, "Devin, I just learned the best nickname for arsenic. <laughs> it's, it's Inheritance so powder. Inheritance powder, which was amazing. I don't think I praised you enough for bringing me that fact. I'm there sorry. There was a really good article about the the fear, like the very specific, almost satanic panic, like fear of housewives murdering people with arsenic because of course it made me think of Lida 
and oh, that yes. thing because it was like this perfect storm of almost anything that goes wrong with you will look like arsenic poisoning and everybody had arsenic Is that around so? mm. <laughs> well i don't know there's in contemporary cases, at least, there's this thing that I've been reading about where when men are falsely accused, it tends to be they got the wrong guy. When women are falsely accused, it's much more likely than it is for men that there actually wasn't a crime. That, you know, that there was an accidental death of some kind, but she doesn't react right. Oh. So she clearly poisoned him or oh. let him die or whatever the thing was that's very interesting and it seems to have something to do with like not only did somebody die around you and we don't think you're reacting right but you specifically should have been like it's almost like you're responsible for all the lives around you once you're a Mm -hmm. woman (laughs) like yeah i'm thinking here about the kayak killer and i can't really speak to like what specifically happened with her but there does seem to have been this very clear sense of two adults went out on kayaks the kayak flipped over and the dude drowned. The girl was in severe distress, but also somehow it's her fault that she didn't <laughs> fix this. She, she didn't undrown him, and then she wasn't yeah. sad enough. Doesn't she know that's her job? She was the lady. Oh, she was like, God, I hope if I'm ever accused of crime that like the cops understand our safe word of safety, mm-hmm. because I feel like I never react right. And then I get that, that like, oh, God damn it, Devin, you're not being sad enough or genuine enough or you're not emoting properly. And then I overdo it. And then I'm like, well, that was weird. Rain it back in. And then I underdo it. And then it's just this whole negative feedback loop of, well, you're fucking guilty as shit. You're obviously acting. Oh, yeah. And then they always pin that on people who, like, very likely are heavily sedated, for instance. Uh, yeah. you know, like me, on a lot of psych drugs. So at this point, I'm almost, I'm not a sad crier anymore. I am a depression crier or an Mm -hmm. angry crier. Okay. Angry frustration crying is a thing that can happen. But, like, you can tell me something very, very, very sad. And it it has to be, like, top 1% of sadness for me to actually weep. Like, no. Yeah. Like, I'm talking, like, Pixar movie. Like. (laughs) (laughs) The the prince of the forest has to come out and say, Bambi, your mother cannot be with you anymore. And then the waterworks happen. (sighs) Nope. What what are we talking about? I'm an all-the-time crier. Go to bed. Go to bed. Go to bed, friends. We like you all so much, and we really want you to know that we super appreciate every single fucking like or comment or message that we get when you say, hey, Ouija Broads. Lately, I keep seeing that we're being tagged in other pages on Facebook. People are tagging us in news articles, and then there's so many comments in the news article, I can't find that original thing to say, thank you. This is really fucking cool. So I'll just say it on air that... Thank you. It is really fucking cool. I really like knowing that so many people see things and go, oh, I've got friends I can share this with. This is, is a weird awesome. thing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me really happy. I really like that it feels like we are a bunch of weirdos just getting through our day together, sharing stories about severed feet and mystery creatures yep. and cool art that's happening. So thanks, guys. That is very cool, and I will do Apology Corner, which is if you have by chance emailed us at any point, and I haven't gotten back to you, 
one of two things happened. Either I didn't see it because it didn't get forwarded to me correctly, or this will sometimes happen. I don't answer your email fast enough, and then I get, like, socially anxious mm-hmm. about how long it's been without answering your email. Mm-hmm. Someday, I may overcome that, but really we are just two chuckle fucks behind a microphone, and sometimes by the time I actually get to, like, the Ouija Broads information, I yeah. have used up all my, like, I have to do a thing, and I'm oh, done. Oh, yeah. So I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, Yeah. Yeah, remember, we're two people with, I work 50 hours a week. I don't even want to guess how many hours a week Liz works <sighs> with kids and husbands and pets. <laughs> Lots of shit's yeah. happening. Lots of things. But it's cool, and we got good friends. And you guys are awesome because you're finding us on all those social media channels, and you're listening to us on Podbean and iTunes. I sure hope you are. And while you're there, if you want to give us a rate, review, subscribe, anything that would help the algorithm know that it should put our content in front of more people, that would be wonderful. We have surpassed 50,000 downloads. We have... So many new friends on Facebook recently. So people are finding us, which is really cool. And it has to be thanks in large part to the fact that you guys are out there spreading the word for us. So please keep doing that. Uh, I got to start thinking again about what I'm going to put in nostalgia for the next one. But everybody who signed up for that and got to read Buck Was a Dandy with all the extra info and the pictures and whatever. I hope you had a good time with that. Nostalgia Magazine, thank you so much for letting us be a part of that. Because that's cool. That's all? Fuck, dude. I think that's it. I was pausing for you to talk, and then I realized it got kind of awkward and long pausy. And then I panicked and thought I was supposed to say something again. That's what the truncate silence button is for. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Um, Okay, should I get us out of here? Yeah. Yeah, that was just like a happy little love fest. I really like saying thank you instead of doing things, or telling you to do things. I like thanking you for already having done it. Yeah, I like that. Thank you for interacting with us. Thank you for your support on Patreon, whether it was a short-term, medium-term, or ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. It's all lovely. It's all wonderful. Thank you for letting us talk to you. Yeah. Thank you in advance for doing what I know you do so well, which is living weird. Dying weird. And staying weird. And for listening. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs)